0: Uh, if you would this this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm four. Psalm four. This is one of those psalms that contains that um, that word that we believe is a musical notation, "Selah." So at those points, I'll, I'll pause for uh, contemplation. Psalm chapter 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart, more than in the season that uh, more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Now, um, this this week um, has been exciting and exhausting for Becca and myself. Uh, We bought a new car. We finished our foster training classes, and we had a baby shower yesterday. It all makes time fly by, and I look back upon it at the end of the week and say, "What just happened?" And as I reflect on the time I spent during some of the week on things that were more useful than others, there were some that were necessary decisions that needed to be made, but um, none of it, I can honestly say, was more needful than the time that I spent thinking about the message of this psalm. And despite the fact that I failed at most times to make it my highest priority This psalm revealed my need to prioritize my life. What is the most important goal and relationship in my life? What is the purpose of my life? The the most important relationship that any of us must attend to every day is our relationship to God, recognizing Him as the one who sustains our lives. And that is what this psalm is about. Um, The Lord provides safety, deep peace, and relief from the burdens of life. And the responsibility of humanity in response is to remove our attention from the useless things that entice us here so that we can properly acknowledge the goodness of our Creator. And and David begins this uh, with a call to God in verse 1. As with Psalm 40 that I preached uh, from two weeks ago, we are again unaware of the circumstances of David's life when he wrote this psalm. One commentary claims that it occurs early in David's reign as king when some people in Israel uh, were still reeling from the death of King Saul and struggling with the idea that David is king. It claims that there was Uh, a drought that occurred uh, which caused the people of Israel to speculate that David's anointing stoked the displeasure of God. And another commentary suggests that this psalm flows from Psalm 3, giving it the same circumstances of Absalom's rebellion. But what the the commentaries do agree on is that this is a psalm of the evening as daylight transitions to the dark of night. It's often paired with Psalm 3, which is considered a psalm of the morning because of verse 5, if you look back at Psalm 3. It says, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. So it is a um, psalm of the, the morning. Psalm 4 is a psalm of the evening because of the References to meditating in bed, lying down in peace and sleeping. David, being the musician that he was, you can almost picture him singing these psalms to himself as he finds peace in God, the God that he trusts, as he lays down to go to sleep at night, meditating on the goodness of God. And in the morning, when he gets up out of bed, singing another song of praise for the protection that God provided through the night. And I really had to struggle to decide whether or not to include this reference, but the sentiment was very succinct, the succinct Excuse me, I should not use the word succinctly. <laughs> it was very well put uh, in short words by an old TV character from 1953 named Pa Kettle. if any of Some of you are probably going to date yourselves if you start smiling at that. <laughs> he said in his daily prayers, each morning when I wake up, I say, thank you, God, for letting me live to see another day. And at night when I go to bed, I say, dear God, please let me live to see another tomorrow. The rest of his theology is a little bit off. (laughs) But that portion of uh, Pa Kettle's prayers, they align closely with those of King David. And this psalm is David's expression of confidence in God, giving him safety through the night as he lays down to sleep. He begins the psalm with this imploring statement, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This almost sounds like a command that God is or David is giving toward God, but it's a plea. And within that plea, David recognizes his standing, and he ranks himself lower than God, crediting God as the one who applies righteousness to mankind. And it's less of a question that uh, God will respond than a confident gesture from David. David has enough history in his life to know that God will hear. God will listen and react. David gives um, an expression of this history that he's experienced. He says, you have relieved me in my distress. And the Hebrew word for distress in this case gives the sense of entrapment, like a mouse being cornered by a cat. And we might say that David was caught between a rock and a hard place, and the Lord brought relief by removing obstacles from his life and freeing David from a trap. And in his usual form, David draws on this experience, this relationship that has been cultivated with God once again to call for God's mercy in this moment. Psalms of David are an example for us to use in the way that we pray. And this psalm's opening gives us a quick way to address God, acknowledging his position over us as our source of righteousness, recognizing his power to respond to our needs, and remembering points of our lives when he has been our help. And these features in our prayers, when they're used sincerely, can give us a proper perspective and humility when we have a new need arise, and we want God to respond once more. David sees this attitude as setting himself apart from others, but not in a proud way. The verses following this one might begin his address to others while he acts as a sort of a mediator, calling out their actions and attitudes and instructing them in- Instead, to uh, seek after God. He does this with a rhetorical question in verses 2 and 3. If you would, look back at the text with me again. Let's look at those. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Saylah, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. These sons of men that David is addressing are people that have some kind of wealth or social status within Israel. And again, depending on who you ask or which commentary you're reading, these could be people that supported Saul when he died or Absalom when he usurped the throne of Israel. But regardless, there is some kind of humiliation that David is suffering because of these people. That's what David means when he asks, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? The humiliation is David's glory turned into shame, and the worthlessness and falsehood are lies being spread about him. And The rhetorical question is followed by the word selah, which, again, seems to be this word in this case that is meant for contemplation by the listener. I can't say for everyone here. I don't know what everybody's um, inclinations to sin are, but somehow we as an entire culture have come to revel in the humiliation of others, in gossip and drama, If I started to mention the names of political figures this morning, depending on which party they're from, you would mentally have boos and hissing or cheers in in your own mind. I would. (laughs) And social media has become a breeding ground for cyberbullying on all age levels. Sadly, I think that adults may be worse than children. We could keep listing out all of the ales in our society, but the principle of the psalm seems clear. If you have an inclination to criticism based on hearsay or jumping on the bandwagon, take time to contemplate what you're doing and humble yourself, knowing that God is ultimately the judge of all things. James gives us a picture of this in the, in the New Testament. Um, speaking of anger, It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And David describes someone that refrains from this sort of vain criticism as those who are set apart by God, including himself. He's had a lifetime of building a strong relationship with God greater than most despite his failures in life. He's had... Um, excuse me. We And we might think um, that David is being hypocritical by saying that he has had this lifetime of building a strong relationship. But he's writing this... Uh, Song that calls out the sins of others while calling himself godly, but these psalms are meant to be instructional. It's not just not just a um, dichotomy that he's that he's making for no reason. He's setting himself apart to to give instruction, and in this psalm, he continues by prescribing a way forward for those that criticize him and love his humiliation. And that's what verses 4 and 5 are. They are a way for those people to grow. Look back again at the text with me, if you would. Um, verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin. Mediate, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still, say law. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Those same people that are glad to see David's downfall with anger in their hearts are described with the words be angry, actually meaning to tremble with anger. David's prescription for this seething rage of his offenders is to not let it become more than emotion. Don't let it lead to action. Sleep on it. Meditate in a quiet place when there is no one else to help fuel the fire, and instead seek resolution to your anger in the stillness of the night. Um, The New Testament takes this idea a little bit further. Paul quotes David in Ephesians 4.26. I'm not going to step on Jason's territory too much here, but he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Paul's prescription takes David's words to resolve anger, but he moves up the timetable. Resolve conflict quickly before you even go to bed at night. And Jesus describes anger within the heart to be the same outward action of murder, and he commands that we forego interacting with God until our conflicts are resolved with one another. But back here in Psalm 4, after another Selah call to compl- com- contemplation, excuse me, David seems to have a similar concept in mind. Once there is a conflict resolution, once there is peace restored within your heart and your heart is humbled, then your worship to God will be acceptable. Humility and sorrow over sin and true repentance are the sacrifices of righteousness that he mentions. Another psalm of David, Psalm 51, points us to this fact. You could turn there if you, if you want to. Psalm 51 and verse 17. Psalm 51 and verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. This sorrow over sin and the trust in the Lord is what God wants in a relationship with us. Coming to him with the pride removed from our hearts and a childlike reliance is the best attitude that we can have in our relationship to God. Our perspective on life and worldview depend on how we view God and how much we actually trust Him to provide our needs. And it's a matter of our, our perspective on the world. And that's what we see in verses 6 and 7. There's two different perspectives contrasting one another. Verse six, verses 6 and 7 again, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. These two verses, again, they compare and contrast the opposing worldviews of those that trust in God versus those who do not. Those that do not trust the Lord, they look only at the world through the lens of life without God seeing only circumstance that either makes them happy momentarily or disappoints them. And these are those that ask the question in this psalm, who will show us any good? And David again, he contrasts himself with this type of person, again, knowing that he has a relationship with God. He looks to him and says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. We have you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that, that their grain and wine increased. His experience with God is one of lasting peace and satisfaction. He does not need a big grain and wine harvest to know that he can rely on God and be thankful to God. These things are temporary happiness for fickle people. The gladness that God puts into David's heart is deeper. God has promised much more to David than food and drink. He promised a son and a king that would reign forever on the throne of David. David spent his life look, looking forward to the coming of this king, knowing that he could trust the promise of God. That is the trust and fulfillment That we can have as well. This life is filled with things that distract us from the return of Jesus and eternity with Him, but it is that Christian worldview that gives us a reason to anticipate the future, not fearing what may happen in the night. And that's where David finishes this psalm. He has a certain peace in verse 8. I will both lie down in peace. And sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. And I'm not going to belabor this point a lot. As David lays down and closes his eyes to sleep, he has a deep sense of safety and peace. His security does not rely on guards that may fall asleep at their post. His life is in the hands of Almighty God, the Prince of Peace, who alone can. Make us dwell safely. And I'll conclude by saying this psalm is one of those, like Psalm 1, that should cause us to reflect on our day to day lives and contemplate the condition of our hearts. Do you love to see the humiliation of others? Or do you find joy in humbling yourself to grow in your relationship with God? if much of our time is spent seeing ourselves through the lens of pride as better than others, then the total picture of your life is narrow, not acknowledging your own shortcomings. And I would like to encourage you this morning to meditate on your relationship to God daily. David has given us an example to be grateful to God for the peace that he gives, the security of our souls achieved through his son Jesus. Think of the blessings that God does provide each day in simply keeping you through the night and allowing you to see a new day. If there is sin or anger in your heart, ask for peace and guidance in how to move forward. Offer the acceptable sacrifices of a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart and put your trust in God.